feel like we should pray. Let's pray. Lord, we pause in your presence here this moment. I want to thank you for who you are. Lord, I want to thank you for speaking to us, for being able to speak to our hearts. And again this morning, I pray that somehow through the ministry of this, your word, you would be able to speak to our hearts in a powerful kind of way. We want to open ourselves to you, and I want to give your, myself to you as a vessel in your hands for this ministry, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The, the text for this morning's sermon is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through verse 10. And uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to begin this morning by reading the, uh, this particular text. So if you would, if you would stand with me, uh, you've been sitting for a while, if you would stand with me as I read the text here in 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm deviating from, the, uh, from looking at Romans this morning. I thought maybe we needed a little break from, uh, from, from, from Romans. And so I'm going to be looking at this particular portion in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in scripture, in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That's as far as I'd like to read. You may be seated. I consider the heart of this text to be verses 4 through 8. And this is the part of the text that I really want to that I've chosen to explore at some depth with you this morning. These five verses refer, in, in, in these verses four through eight, refer to the stones, to stones and 
pieces of stones in a metaphorical kind of way. You know that stones are inanimate objects. But here Peter uses the, the idea of stones, a, a, a stone and, living, and, and, and stones in, in a metaphorical kind of way to teach us some important lessons for us as individuals and for us as a church. And, and the main lesson in, in these five verses, I believe, is that Jesus, as Peter points out, is the chief cornerstone. It's, it's in, and and, and uh, I, I believe that Peter is, is telling us here that being Jesus is the chief cornerstone and that's sort of a unique expression. Um, I remember when my, my friend, my Indian friend, Raymond Ningwins from the Laxville Reserve, when he would say, he would say, you know that, um, that we know that Jesus was an Indian. And the way we know that is because he was called Chief Cornerstone. But chief cornerstone here means he was the, the most important stone. He was the, the, the most important stone in, in a building. When they built the temple and, and they began by laying the cornerstone, which was probably the largest stone that was going to be laid in the building, the biggest stone, it was the most important stone of the building the chief cornerstone. And so Peter is pointing out the fact that Jesus, not himself, but Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Keep that in mind as we, as we look at this passage. And, and, and I want to tell you, the, uh, give you the, the, uh, the, the, the very, uh, uh, the, the central part, the central focus the central truth of, of my message this morning has to do with giving Jesus his rightful place. Giving Jesus his rightful place in our personal, individual lives. It's imperative. It's important. It's desperately important that we give Jesus his rightful place in our lives. I don't, I don't know how many people came to me in, in my 35 years of ministry in northwestern Ontario where people would come to me and say, you know, I tried it, <laughs> but it didn't work for me. So I guess it's not meant for me. But you know what? I always felt that if they would give Jesus, if they would have given Jesus his rightful place in their lives... If they would have, have, have given Jesus preeminence, as the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 and about verse 17, 16, 17, or 18. If they would have given Jesus their, his, his rightful place in their lives, it would have worked. Their lives would have been different. Their lives would have been changed. But he said it didn't work. And I say to you this morning that it's important 
to give Jesus his rightful place in your life. It's equally important that we give Jesus his rightful place in the church. You see, the Bible tells us, and especially in Ephesians chapter two, uh, chapter one, the last part of, of, uh, of that chapter, uh, Paul tells us that Jesus is, is the head of the church. And, uh, and part of the idea, again, that Jesus is the head of the church is the same that Peter was referring to when he, when, he, when he called Jesus the chief cornerstone. But Jesus is the head of the church. And this is what it says. He was far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Part of what it means that Jesus is the head of the church, that he is the most important one in the, uh, in, in, the, in the church. He is the supreme head. It's important that as a church that we give Jesus his rightful place in, our, in, 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 in the church. And if we give Jesus his rightful place, it'll take place what, what, it, what, what Paul talks about uh, when, he, when he says that uh, uh, he will, he will be the fullness, he is the fullness of him, that the church will be the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And part of what I understand that, that phrase to mean is simply this, that when we give Jesus his rightful place at the church, the church will be the full expression of who he is. The church, because the church is meant to be by God by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit. The church is meant to be the full expression of who Jesus is. And I would ask you here at Shane Mountain Christian Fellowship, are you as a body here the full expression of who Jesus is? Give him his rightful place in your life and in the church. Not to do so, not to give him Jesus, uh, his rightful place in our lives, and not to do so not in, in the church, not to give him his rightful place in, our church, in the church will cause us to stumble. He will become to us a stone of stumbling then and a rock of offense. May that never happen in, this, in your lives or in the life of this church. Now, if you've been listening to me for the last week, and, and you have, I trust you have, you, you understand that uh, I believe that... Uh, To, to look at a text without looking, looking at the context makes that text become a pretext. 
In other words, if you don't look at the context of a text, <clears throat> you can sort of make that text say what you want it to say. And I believe it's important. Part of, part of, what, what, uh, uh, part of what drives me in my ministry is to attempt to understand what the text is really saying. And if we want to understand what the text is really saying, we need to look at the context. And, and the context here in 1 Peter chapter 2, these, eight, these 11 verses that I read, is really, really begins in chapter 1. And I think it goes back to chapter 1 in, uh, in, 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 in verse, uh, begins in, in, at least in verse 15. And in verse 15, uh, Peter calls us to holiness. He says, but as he which is called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. For if ye call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work past the time of your sojourning here in fear. It seems to me that this, this is uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 main, uh, the main emphasis of the text. It's, it's a call to us to holiness. And I believe that's important that, that we consider that uh, important to understanding this text. Now, to be holy, the, 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 uh, the admonition is that we be holy as he is holy. He is the standard for our holiness. We are to be holy as he is holy. And we're to be holy in all manner of conversation. That means in our, our daily, everyday walk of life, we are to be holy. We are to reflect the holiness of God. Now, I find that a tall order, don't you? And how can that be, that, how that, can that be, be accomplished in our lives? How can we be holy as, as God is holy? And one of the things that I understand about God is when God commands and requires something of us, he also make it, makes it possible for us by his grace. So it seems to me that Peter continues on in, in chapter 1 and even throughout chapter 2 in the text in which we read, he, he, he continues to, to, uh, to give us, at, at point out at, at least three things that, that make it possible for us to be holy, to live a, a life of holiness. And then, so the first thing that he talks about is how it's important that we appropriate his redemption. And so he goes on to say in verse 18, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your father, from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, who uh, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last days, last times for you. I believe that, that experiencing the redemption that is in Christ Jesus through his blood 
is the means, is the primary means by which we can be holy. In fact, that is the only means that we can primarily be holy by ex experiencing, first of all, the redemption of Christ, our salvation through his precious blood. But then uh, uh, Paul, uh, Peter begins to, to also, uh, secondly, he, he talks about how we have been born again in, in verse 23. He talks about being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which is by the gospel preached unto you. I believe the second uh, means or second avenue by which we can be, become holy or be holy as he is holy is by giving attention to the word of God. That, that we give his word its rightful place in our midst, in our own hearts and in our, in our midst as a church. And I find the, the interesting thing is that Peter begins uh, chapter 2, the text which I read, by telling them they need to deal with those sins that, that, that affect them deeply those social sins, and you look at the list, and, and because, of the, because of the importance of the word of God, and what the word of God does in our lives, he, if, we, if we jump down to, to, uh, to, to verse 2, it has been emphasized the other night some, that it's, it's important that as newborn babes, we, we continue to desire the, the sincere milk of the word that we can grow thereby. If you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. How many of you have tasted that the Lord is gracious? Isn't that wonderful? It's important that we have that deep desire for the sincere milk of the word. But the interesting thing is that Peter seems to be pointing out in verses 1 and verse 1 that there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 things that kill our appetite for the word of God. And he says, lay them aside. Put it away. So that you as newborn babes can, will desire the sincere will of the word. Folks, these sins, the sin, and, the, and, the, and again I point out that, that these sins that he's talking about are, 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 are relational sins. Sins that, that take place in, in our relationship one with another. Such sins as malice and, and guile, uh, pretense, and, and, uh, and hypocrisies, and, and envious, and, and, and evil speakings. And these kind of sins will kill your appetite for the word of God. The word of God that will continue to change your life and cause you 
to experience what it means to be holy as God is holy. So Peter says, lay aside all malice and all guile, all pretense, all hypocrisy, and all envies, and all evil speaking. And as I'm giving interpretation to this, so that you can desire the sincere milk of the words. Because these things kill your appetite for the word of God. Well then, the, uh, so the, the first way, the first means of holiness is, is the redemption that is in Christ. The second means of holiness is giving the word of God his, its rightful place in our lives. And, but, but the third means of holiness, I believe Peter is going on to say what I've already said in, in relation to this text, is that we give Jesus his rightful place in our lives and in the life of the church. that we give him his place as the chief cornerstone. Now, I find it interesting that the, the Apostle Peter, uh, here um, in this text, um, refers to rocks and stones in several different ways. Stones and pieces of stones. I'm also interested in stones. In fact, I, uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by stones because I'm, I'm a stone mason. I'm a, I'm a mason by trade. And, and, and I enjoy rocks and stones. And I enjoy laying rocks and stones. I, I, I think stones are beautiful, don't you? Every stone has its unique characteristic. I, I, I have, in the last 20 years of my life especially, uh, is, is tremendously enjoyed working with stones and rocks. They're very beautiful. And, and so, yes, uh, I'm intrigued with stones. In fact, I... I I, I was so intrigued with stones that, that when we as a family of my, uh, my wife and I are, and our four daughters, when they were, when they were teenagers, and uh, we, we would sometimes go on family camping trip. One, 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 uh, one year we went, uh, we drove all the way to the eastern part of Canada and, and, uh, and traveled through the eastern provinces uh, as, a, as a family camping trip before Andrea got married. And, and so uh, uh, while we were on that, we, we were on that trip, uh, we'd be going along, we'd maybe be driving along a lakeshore or something, and, and uh, I'd see a pile of stones, and I'd, and I'd stop, and I'd go over and look over that pile of stones, and, and I'd pick out a little a stone here and a stone there, and I'd, I'd bring it up and put it in, into the floor of the of the van and, and we'd go on and after a while I'd find another stone that was very unique and I'd, I'd take that one and put it in the bottom of the, the van and, and not only did it really, it, it gave good ballast to the van after a while, but finally the girls said, you know dad, we don't have room for our feet because of all of these stones. <laughs> well, I enjoyed stones and rocks and pieces of rock. But Peter, 
has, an, has seemed to have an interest, interest in, unique interest in, in stones and in rocks and pieces of stone as, as you read this particular text. Perhaps it was because of, of, of uh, him knowing the Old Testament scriptures and, and all, of the, all of the references to such things as stones and rocks in, in the Old Testament. Such, as, such references as uh, um, where, where that refers to the Lord as our rock. Um, such references as that, that David referred to in Psalm 40 in verses 1 and 2 where David testifies how the Lord pulled him out of the miry clay and set his feet on a rock. Maybe Isaiah 28 verse 16 where it speaks of the Lord as a tri-stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation that cannot be moved. It's no doubt that Peter was intrigued with rocks and stones and pieces of stones. But perhaps, the, perhaps also Peter was intrigued with stones and rocks and pieces of stones because of two unique encounters that Peter had with Jesus. The, the, the first encounter that, that Peter had with Jesus. In fact, the very first time, the, the very first encounter that Jesus had, that Peter had with Jesus was back and uh, described for us in, in, I believe it's John chapter 2, where, <coughs> where, where Jesus, it was in the beginning of, of Jesus' um, public ministry. And Jesus had come to John at the River Jordan at, at, at a place called Bethabara. And, and, and there he, he requested that John baptize him in the River Jordan. And John did. And then after, after Jesus was baptized, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And after that season of temptation... Uh, Jesus came back to the River Jordan, back to where John was, as I understand the, the, the progression of things here. He came back to, to where John was, still baptizing in the River Jordan, people in the River Jordan who were repenting of their sins. And as Jesus came strolling back through the crowd, gathered on the River Jordan, John looks over there and sees him. And John says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And the next day, Jesus was again, John was again standing there by the river Jordan with two of his disciples, Andrew and John. And John says again, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And at that moment, Andrew and John began to follow after Jesus. They just sort of walked behind him. They were intrigued. And as they followed after him, Jesus looked back and said, 
in my own words, he said, what do you want? He said, uh, Master, where are you staying? And Jesus said, well, come and see. <laughs> and so they stayed with Jesus that night. The next day, Jesus was going to go leave the River Jordan and, and go up into, and up into Galilee, back into his home territory. But before he left, Andrew went and found Peter and said to, to Peter, we found the Messiah. And so Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. When Andrew brought Peter to Jesus, Jesus stood there and looked at him. And, and from the text, as, as, I, as I have come to understand it, Jesus sort of stared into Peter's eyes. I, I don't know if, any, if you've ever had anybody stare at you for a long period of time. And how, do you, how do you feel when somebody stares into your eyes for a length of time? But this is what, what Jesus was doing to Peter. And, and Jesus said to Peter, the first thing that Jesus said to Peter was, let me, let me read it to you. It's actually in, in John chapter 1. He said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. You see, Cephas was the Aramaic word for Peter. So in actuality, Jesus was saying, You are Simon, the son of Jonah, but you shall be called Peter. Petros is the, is the Greek word. You shall be called Petros, which means rock. In fact, Petros, the, the word Petros, the Greek word Petros doesn't necessarily mean any kind of rock. The word Petros means a piece of rock. So he was saying to Peter, he was saying, you are Simon Bar-Jonah, you are Simon son of Jonah, but you shall be called, the day's coming, when you'll be called Peter, Petros, a piece of rock. And so is it any wonder that years later, 30 years later, Peter writes the, this, this epistle, 1 Peter, and refers to rocks, stones, pieces of stones. Because Jesus said, you should be called a piece of stone. And then he had a second encounter with Jesus in relation to this thing of, of stones and rocks. This time it was in the, the latter part of, of Jesus' three years of ministry. Jesus had withdrawn from Capernaum, from Galilee, and, and had gone into the northern section of northern Galilee, uh, up, in, up into uh, 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 the, the area of, of Syria. Uh, because the, the pressure, the, the pressure from the scribes and Pharisees got so big 
that, that he withdrew for a period of time and went up into the northern part of, 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 the, of the area of Galilee. And, and, and there, one day, as he was standing there in, in Caesarea Philippi, which is up there at the, uh, just which the, the, the town that, that was located right on the foothills of, of Mount Hermon. In fact, you can go there today and, and you can visit the, the site of, of old Caesarea Philippi. And it, there's no town there anymore. It's just ruins, just a few pillars. But there it was, right on the bottom of Mount Hermon. And, uh, and, 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 and Peter had a, a, a unique encounter. I think I can do this. Peter had a unique encounter with the Lord Jesus there at Caesarea Philippi. Now, it's, it's unique for several reasons. It's unique because of the, just because of the context, because of the, the, uh, the, the area itself. And it, uh, it was also unique because of what, of, of Jesus' uh, a dialogue with Peter at that particular time. And because right there in Caesarea Philippi, if you stand there uh, and on the bottom of Mount Hermon, then, then you, you will look at the base of, of the Mount Hermon and there you'll see a huge cave. And out of that cave comes a strong flow of water but, but, but about a, over half as wide as this, this, this uh, room. And, and a strong flow of water comes flowing out of underneath, out from this cave. That, and, and that's really the headwaters of the Jordan River. And, and, it, the, and, and the water flows down through the, the countryside, and you have other tributaries coming in. And it eventually flows in the Sea of Galilee. But, but really, that's the headwaters of the Jordan River. But not only do you see this strong flow of water coming out there, but, but as you stand there right on, right on, right on the side of this, this, this uh, uh, cave where this water comes out, you, you'll see a, a huge, massive rock. It's bedrock. But, it, but it's a huge, massive rock face that, that abruptly comes to an end there at the bottom of Mount Hermon. Well, I understand that's where Jesus was standing. When he, when he said to Peter, when he said to his disciples, so who do men say that I am? And they said to him, well, some say you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Some say you're Elijah, etc." But Jesus then made the, the question very personal. And he said, but who do you say that I am? And it was Peter in a moment of enlightenment. And one, one time when, when Peter really got it right, he, 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 he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And just like that, Jesus turned back to him and said, and thou art Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, it's interesting to notice Jesus' use of words as it's given in the Greek text. There, there's an interesting play on words here in the Greek words for rock, for Peter. 
You see, this is, this is what the Greek text says. Thou art Petros, but upon this Petra I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, Petros means, again, a piece of rock, but Petra means massive rock. It means a rock cliff, if you please. It, it means a, a huge rock. Uh, and and so, so Jesus was saying, but upon this Petra, not upon a piece of rock, not upon Peter. And I, I, always, I always wondered what Jesus' body language was at this point. I wondered if he didn't do this. I don't know. I wasn't there. But I let my imagination run. Is that okay? I wonder if he didn't do this. As he stood there, there on the, the, the bottom of that massive rock cliff, I, I wonder if he didn't point to Peter and say, Thou art Petros, but upon this Petra I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so here comes Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 and says to the people that are scattered in the northern part of, of Asia Minor, Cappadocia, uh, uh, all of those uh, uh, provinces up there toward, toward the, uh, the Black Sea. He said he, he, he said, he talks about Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Not he himself. He said Jesus is the key, chief cornerstone. It's Jesus upon whom the, the church the, is the rock upon which the church is built, not upon himself. He never insinuated in this, in this text or any, anywhere else that he was the rock upon which the church is built. Oh, yes, the apostles, including Peter and, and James and John and and, and Thomas and, and all of the, the other of the, the, the apostles. Yes, the Bible tells us that, that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. But there again it says that, that uh, let me turn to that. I need to get that right. Ephesians chapter 2, the, uh, the end of the, uh, uh, of the chapter where, where Paul says this. He, he says that... Um, that talks about the saints and the household of God, which is the church, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Let me pull you back to 1 Peter chapter 2 and notice the heart and core of this, this text, verses 4 through 8. And you know what I'm going to do, don't you? You're going to stand and uh, I'm going to read again verses 4 through 8. 1 Peter chapter 2. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, 
but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built upon a spiritual house, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confused or confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at his word, being disobedient, whereunto they were also appointed. You may be seated. Let me affirm that uh, the fact that, that God doesn't appoint men and women to be dis disobedient. That's not what that last phrase means, but it does mean that those who are disobedient are appointed by God to, uh, that, that then Jesus becomes a stumbling stone to them. Well, Peter's use, I want to look just briefly here at Peter's use of stones in a figurative or metaphorical kind of way in, in, this, in this particular text. The first thing he says about, about Jesus is that Jesus, he's referring to Jesus, no doubt about that. He's referring to Jesus as the living stone when he says, to whom coming, in verse 4, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, coming to Jesus as the living stone, because we, we can come to, to him as the living stone, because this living stone gives eternal life uh, to all that come to him. He, Jesus, is the rock in the wilderness that gave water, living water to, to the people uh, in a metaphorical kind of way. Uh, he, he, Jesus is that living stone to whom we can come and, uh, as, 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 uh, and, and, and receive life from him. To whom coming as unto, we come to him as unto a living stone, and this stone has been disallowed. The, the word disallowed is a King James word for meaning. He's been rejected of men, and, but he is chosen of God, and he's precious. And then he refers to us, us here, the saints of his day. And it says, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. The German calls this Lebendigensteine. You also as lively stones, the, the better interpretation there is living stones. So you became, we became living stones because we have come to the living stone. And if we have come to the living stone, then God wants to use us as living stones to build up a spiritual house, the church of Jesus Christ. And he expects that, that, that uh, uh, the church of Jesus Christ to be a holy priesthood a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
May we know what it means this morning to be lebendige steine, living stones. And may we know what it means to allow God take us and fit us, fitly frame us, as Paul said it in, in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, into the spiritual house. You know what it means to fitly frame a stone? You know, I enjoy laying stones, but often when I fit stones together, then they don't quite fit. And often what I have to do is take my chisel and chip a little bit off here and chip a little bit off here uh, until they, they are fitly framed. They, are, they, they fit together. You're a mason. You know what I'm talking about. And that's what it means to be fitly framed together. My question is, are we allowing God to fitly frame us together to be this spiritual house that offers up spiritual sacrifices that is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ? In order to do so, you need to allow God to chip you a little bit here, fitly frame you, fit you in uniquely where he wants you in the church of Jesus Christ. Allow God to fitly frame you into this spiritual house. Well, then Peter goes on to talk about Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. The, uh, the, the most important stone of the building. The first stone that is laid that was laid in, in, in the building, uh, in the building of the temple, <coughs> as well as in other buildings. Uh, that, that, which was called the chief cornerstone, the most important stone of the building, the biggest stone of the building, the most massive stone of the building. And it was this stone, which was the, is the chief cornerstone, that was first laid and from which all of the other dimensions of the building were taken from. It was the chief cornerstone. From there you measured over to that corner, and from there you measured over to this corner. And so it, it, it was the, the, the most important stone in the building. And... And Peter, again, leaves no doubt in this text the fact that Jesus is that chief cornerstone, as he, as he puts it here. And, and, this, and he says, unto you, therefore, which believe, and may it be true of us here this morning who believe, that, that unto us, Jesus is very precious. He's very important. And we give him his rightful place. As far as God is concerned, he is the chief cornerstone. He is elect. He's been selected by God. He's precious. And he's very important. And, 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 and God says that he that believeth on him shall never be confounded or disappointed or disillusioned. If you give Jesus 
his rightful place in your life. If you don't, then he will become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And that's what he's referring to. He's referring to in verse 7 then. He says, unto you therefore which believe he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And here I want to come to the sort of the focal point of my message. Which again reflects the idea of that, the, the fact that, that it's important that we give Jesus his rightful place in, in our lives. Because in verse 7, when he's talking about this stone, uh, he, it, it could be referring again back to the chief cornerstone. But, but there's also evidence that, there was the, that, that he was referring to another kind of stone here in verse 7. The stone that is made then the head of the corner. The chief cornerstone has been laid in the foundation of the building, but then, then, then there's a stone that, that has been, been, been that is going, is an important stone that is also at the head of the corner, or, or uh, some translators translate this uh, to say that he is the keystone of the arch. And that's what I've entitled this message this morning. Jesus, the, the keystone of the arch. Now, I don't know if you understand about keystones, but, but, but uh, keystones are important when, when you built an archway. I remember the first time that I, I built an archway, and it was, in, it was in Mississippi back in the 60s when uh, a black church was bombed, and uh, uh, I, several of us were, down, were sent down to, to clean up and... and uh, uh, and, and to start rebuilding the church. And, and as we did that, we started rebuilding the church. I was, I was told to, to, uh, to lay up the front of the building where there was an archway, and, and that archway was made out of rock. And so I began, so I began uh, putting down stones on each side of this opening into the building, and I, I built stone upon stone upon stone, and eventually this stone came around like this to the top, and we had to put a, a, a framework up so that these stones, as I laid them around the corner up here, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't collapse and fall down, and, and, and so then, so I, I, I kept building, and finally I came to, to, to the, 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 the final spot on the top of the arch, and there was a, and, and because I was using the stones that had been previously built there, I, I discovered that there was a unique shaped rock that, that was needed to, to put on top of the arch. And, and this unique shaped rock was called the keystone of the arch. And as we looked around, we saw this unique stone, this, this unique stone that, that was shaped something like this. And as I put that stone in, on, on the top of the arch and, and, and put it in place, because of the unique shape of that keystone, I, I was able to pull the, the, the framework away. And, and because that stone was there, the most important stone in the archway, it held the arch together. 
And that's what is called the keystone of the arch. And it seems to me that Peter is referencing this with the, the fact that Jesus not only is the chief cornerstone, but he's also the, the keystone of the arch. He's the most important stone in the foundation of the building, but he's also the, 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 the final stone of the arch that holds the arch together. It's called the keystone of the arch. And if you don't give Jesus his rightful place, that keystone of the arch, that, that, that will become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. I understand that there's a story that comes out of antiquity, and I'm not sure where, where I read this story. Maybe it was Josephus. I, I, I don't remember, but there's an interesting story that comes out of the, the, the history of the building of the temple that, uh, that, is, that is given. Uh, it's not in the scripture, but it's referred to, and, and, uh, and, and in a sense, uh, 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 um, Psalm 118 verses 21 and 22 alludes to that when, uh, when the psalmist said that, that uh, um, let me turn back to that, where the psalmist said, I can't get past Psalm 119 here, <laughs> uh, that the stone which the builders disallowed is become the headstone of the corner. Now, this is the mother verse for, uh, for, this, for the reference that, that Peter gives it in, in his writings when he talks about the, uh, the stone which the builders disallowed has, having become the keystone of the arch. Peter uses this also in, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 11 when he was giving that little sermonette to the, to the high priest and, the, and, and some of the Sanhedrin who were gathered around and said, uh, tell us what authority do you have what, what, what the, for doing these things that you're doing. And it's there that Peter quotes this very verse right back to them and said, haven't you read that the, the stone which the builders disallowed has become the headstone of the corner? Well, the story that comes out of antiquity is this, that when they were building the temple, and you know, you, you understand that when they build the temple, all of the stones, all of the stones that were used in the building of the temple were, were shaped in, in the quarry from which they came and uh, before they, they brought it to the area of the temple. A unique engineering feat. But there was shaped in the quarry of the temple. And this was possible with, with the limestone around Jerusalem. Because if, if you can go to Jerusalem today and they will take you down to some of the quarries underneath Jerusalem. You, there you'll discover limestone. It's, it's relatively soft. And you can cut blocks of limestone and, and, and shape it and, and uniquely form it. And then when you get that limestone out into the atmosphere and out into the sun, it begins to harden up and becomes harder. But, but when it's first quarried out of the, the quarry, it, it's soft and it, it's, it's, uh, it's still solid, but it, you can shape it and, 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 and chisel it to, to the size you want. Well, I understand that's what they did back in the time that they built the temple. 
And as they were building the temple and putting all of these stones together and fitly framing the temple together, that, that uh, the, there, was, there was one stone uh, in, in the area of the temple they, that, that they didn't know where it fit. And, and this stone became a stumbling block to the builders of the temple. It was a uniquely shaped stone. But this stone became an offense to them because, because they, they, uh, they couldn't find a place for it. And they kept stumbling over it. They kept kicking it around in the dirt because they, they didn't consider it to be a very important stone at all. But as they stumbled around on this stone, as they were building the temple, they finally came to the last stone they needed to finish the, the arch of the temple. And then they had this unique shape, this unique blank, this unique hole that needed a unique stone. And, and they went looking for this stone, and they finally found this stone that, that, was, the, uh, the, the, um, that was uniquely shaped that they'd been stumbling over and kicking around. And they took that stone, and, and they put it into the, up into that spot, which was the, the, the keystone of the arch, and it fitted perfectly. And so the stone that the builders disallowed became the headstone of the arch. Again, it's just another way of saying that it's important that we give Jesus his rightful place in our lives. Let's kneel to pray.